You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Well, I'm talking about, last week we looked at uh, the betrayal of Jesus in the garden. And this Sunday, we're looking at the next steps that Jesus took toward the cross, and that's His trial. And so I'm gonna read a passage of Scripture, and you're gonna say, Bex, that was a little long. That was a long Scripture. But I'm asking you, it's really important that we read through these words in those, these books, these passages. And so I want you to stay with me, all right? If you have to get out your Bible to follow along, if you have to get out the app to follow along, it's going to be on the screen. It'll come up on the screen as you're watching online, but please just stick with me. I'll make it as animated as I humanly can, all right, to keep you going with it. But it's so important. We're reading in Matthew 26, verse 37, 57, and we're picking up this verse after Jesus has been in the garden. He's been arrested. The crowd came in. Judas kissed him, identified that it was Jesus they were going to take away. And so this is the moment we're in. It says, Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. We'll move down now to verse 59, where it says, Inside, the leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so that they could put him to death. But even though they found many people who would have agreed to give a false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, This man said, I am able to build the temple of God and re destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you gonna answer to these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied, you have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at the right hand of God and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes to show his horror and said, blasphemy. Why do you need other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. And some slapped him, jeering, prophesy to us, you Messiah. Who hit you that time? We move on in the chapters to Matthew chapter 27, where we pick up our reading in verse 11 now. And Jesus is standing before Pilate, says, standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded, but Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowd gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message, leave this innocent man alone, she said. I suffered a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two men do you want to me to release to you? The crowd shouted Barabbas. 
Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who has called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him, crucify him. Why, Pilate commanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared louder, crucify him. Pilate saw he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. He sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Then he handed him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. That's a powerful passage of scripture, hey? Throughout this journey, this part of the journey that we see Jesus go on between the garden and crucifixion, we see that he faces four trials. First, he's placed before the high priest, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. Then he's placed before Pilate. Pilate passes him over to be placed before Herod before he comes back again uh, to stand in front of Pilate for his fourth trial. See, Pilate is convinced of Jesus' innocence. He is absolutely convinced that he is innocent. In fact, he publicly declares three times, this man is innocent, I can find nothing to condemn him. He wants to avoid sentencing Jesus. He washes his hands of his blood. He does not want the death of Jesus to be on his record. He is convinced that he is innocent. And yet at the same time, he's got a crowd, a mob. He's got a a, a group of religious leaders who are adamant this man deserves to be crucified. And so in an attempt to not put Jesus to the cross, but also to satisfy this growing crowd, Pilate does a few things to try and kind of get out of making the decision. The first thing he does, he sends him to Herod. He sends him over to Herod and he's like, that guy, he can make the decision. It's his responsibility. Well, failing that, he then is like, well, let's just have him flogged. Like, will that be enough? Will that satisfy you simply to have him flogged? And the third and final thing he does is this moment with Barabbas, where as tradition states that every Passover, he chooses to release a prisoner free to the crowd. That prisoner is then uh, like set free from the debt of their sin and they can go, the debt of their crime and they can go. He's hoping that the crowd will choose to release Jesus as an act of mercy, not that Jesus needed mercy because he was innocent after all, but instead the crowd chooses to release a man who should be condemned, Barabbas, a notorious uh, criminal, a murderer, a man who should be condemned and paying the price for his crime. They let him go free and in doing so, they condemn Jesus, an innocent man, to death. Jesus. He's completely innocent, and yet he is publicly condemned by a crowd. He is publicly condemned by a crowd who will not change their mind, whose decision is made, and whose intentions will not be changed. Jesus is condemned, and yet he is innocent. There are a number of consequences that we read throughout Scripture of our sin, a number of consequences as a result that come into our lives as a result of sin. And last week we saw a glimpse into the isolation and the alienation that comes as a result of sin, the separation from God. We saw that with Jesus in the garden. Today, here in the trial, we see another consequence, a second consequence of when sin comes into our life, and that consequence is condemnation. Condemnation says we are guilty and therefore we should be punished. That's what the mob wanted 
It's what the mob wanted at Jesus' trial. Crucify him, crucify him. They are saying he is guilty. He deserves punishment. He deserves to die. Romans 6, 23 even says it. It says the wages of sin is death. The punishment, the debt, what we owe for sin is death. See, Jesus is the innocent man bearing the image of the condemned man. What is really interesting about both the garden and the trial is as Steve said in his message last week, we see a number of moments in Genesis where you see the event circle back around in an attempt to reveal to us a clearer picture of what Jesus died to redeem for us. Steve spoke about sin entering the garden. Last week he spoke sin came into the first garden and then we saw the story of redemption come in in the second garden. We saw when sin came into the world in the first garden, it went from a place of connection and communion with God to a place of isolation and separation from Him. We saw that again reflected and mirrored again in the second garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, which used to be a place of connection and communion with Jesus and His disciples. And then it became a place place of isolation as they abandoned him in that moment. At this trial, even though Jesus is completely innocent, he is publicly condemned and shamed as sinful. And what we see here in this trial is actually the same pattern that we saw in the garden of a full circle moment coming around because we see it reflected back in the garden of Eden when sin first came into the world. When Adam and Eve sinned, can you remember what happened? They felt the condemnation of their sin. They felt the condemnation of their sin. They felt shame. And what did they do? They hid from God. And friends, I believe that you and I have been doing the very same thing ever since. Condemnation is felt in each of us as shame. Condemnation says I am guilty and I deserve punishment. I deserve to be punished. Shame says I'm guilty. I deserve to be punished. And if I am exposed, I will be rejected and so I must hide. My youngest son, Rocky, uh, when he was a little bit younger, he was absolutely obsessed with costumes. We have got, I would say, if I was to count the number of costumes in our house, we would have about 50 different costumes of 50 different characters, ranging from Where's Wally to Darth Vader. Like, we have got it all and everything in between, right? And Rocky just loved costumes. In fact, one, he went through the cutest stage once of laying out the night before he would lay out the costume. It was the most prepared he's ever been in his life. So the night before he would decide, tomorrow I will be Peter Pan. And he would lay out the Peter Pan costume next to his bed, ready for him to wear. There was one point where he would even lay out the alias of the character. So he would lay out Spider-Man and Peter Parker. And he would lay out Superman and Clark Kent. Like he had it all going on. He loved dressing up. He would wake up in the morning. He started even like going to church dressed up, going to the mall dressed up, going to the supermarket dressed up. He would go everywhere as everybody. He would go as Peter Pan, Spider-Man, Superman, Kylo Ren, like all the things. He would go everywhere as anyone but himself. And I get the feeling that in a room this size with people watching from all over the place, that there would be a lot of people in the room today who would say that maybe, just maybe, 
you are perhaps grown-up versions of Rocky. Now, you may have grown out of the costume face, but you really wish you could get up and put on something that would allow you to go somewhere in disguise. So often, we get up, don't we, and we put on a mask, and I'm not talking about your face mask. (laughs) I'm talking about a mask that hides the real you because if people knew the real me, I just don't know if they'd like me anymore. And if people could see the real me, I'm not sure I'd still belong. If people could see the real me, I don't know if I would be accepted. And so we hide, don't we? We hide behind our social media profiles and our constructed false realities. We hide behind fake personas and facades. We hide behind our job or our occupation or our title or our position. We hide behind busyness, don't we? We hide behind responsibility. We hide by isolating ourselves. We hide behind our personality, whether it's introverted or extroverted. It's a really good facade to put on. But here, Here is what the trial teaches us. The trial teaches us that Jesus bears both the penalty of our sin, death, and also the pain of our sin, shame. He is an innocent man, bearing the image of the condemned man. And I want you to listen to me. Listen to me in the cafe. Listen to me online. Listen to what that means for you. It means Jesus bore my condemnation so that I could be forgiven. It means Jesus bore my shame so that I could be free. Free from my brokenness. Free from my sin. Free from shame. Free from condemnation. And every time, friends, every time you feel that sting of condemnation enter into your heart, every time you feel the pain of your mistakes, I want you to remember that your Saviour, Jesus, went to a cross. Every time you feel shame, try and tell you that you have to hide. I want you to remember the Jesus that went to the cross bore the weight of that sin so that you could drop the mask and walk free of shame and condemnation. I'm not saying it's okay to sin. I'm not saying you can leave this place and sin forevermore. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that it's you know, now okay that we all go out there. What I'm saying is you don't have to hide it anymore. Yes, you've messed up. Yes, you've made mistakes. Yes, there will be daily and real consequences for the mistakes in this life and you will face them for the mistakes that we make. But I want you to hear this today. I want you to hear this today because this is what Jesus died to give you. This is what he died to give you. You don't have to hide your struggle. You don't have to hide your brokenness. You don't have to hide your pain anymore. The question we need to ask ourselves is, am I living in the forgiveness that Jesus died to give me? Am I living free from shame and condemnation and guilt that he died to give me? He died to give you that kind of life. And I want want you to ask the question, am I living in it? So what can we do? What can we do to live the forgiven life Christ died to give us? A life free of condemnation, a life free of shame. I've got two things for you, and I just have to put it out there right at the get-go. These are not like the most amazing points you'll ever hear. You're going to hear them, and you're going to think, Bex, 
You should have spent more time on your points, right? But I guarantee you, I promise you this, if you would just apply these to your life, they will change everything. The first thing I want you to do, if you're gonna live a life, the forgiven life Christ died to give you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop hiding. Stop hiding. The truth is you can be forgiven from your sin and yet not free from it. Because the power of condemnation is in the secrecy. As long as it is a secret, it will still have a hold on you. As long as it is secret, it will still have power over you. The power of condemnation is in the secrecy, but the power of forgiveness says you don't have to hide anymore. I have to be honest, and I think you'll agree with me even if you don't want to admit it. Churches have historically been places of keeping up appearances. Am I right? Can we be honest here today? Keeping up appearances. We, we walk into church and we're like, hi, how are you? Oh, bless you, sister. It's so good. I'm, God is good all the time. All right, we use all these nice like, bless you, bless me. We're free. The Lord is good. Am I right? Yeah, you know, you know I'm not lying. We can come into church and we can feel this pressure can't we, to look like we have it all together because when we look around, it looks like everyone else has it all together. And so when we come in and someone says, how are you? We say, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm good, thanks. And I think it's automatic. I don't even think we realize that it's coming out of our mouth because we get up in the morning for church and we put our church clothes on and we put our church smiles on, don't we? And we put our church voices on and we put our church, our good church behavior on. But really, on the inside, I'm struggling. I mean, there's some stuff going on and it's just really hard. Like there's some big things going on in my life. I've done that. I can remember Steve and I were in the UK and on our big trip that we did and uh, we, we, we had to drive a lot. We were going from place to place, staying with different people. And so there were some like long, long drives that we did. I remember one drive, we got into this conversation. I don't know how we got there, but we got there and we went deep. And we ended up having a bit of an argument. Steve would call it a discussion. We had a bit, let's just say I was mad at him and he was mad at me. And we are driving along, having our discussion in the car. All the while, we're inching closer and closer to the destination to the home that we are going to. And as we approach it, I'm still mad at him and he's still mad at me. I can see the house and I can see the hosts outside. <laughs> Excited to see us. And then we're inside the car and I'm still mad at him and he's still mad at me like, mm. <laughs> and we get out of the car and you know what happens? They say, hi, how are you? We say, hi, we're amazing. <laughs> so good, everything's great. I know you all can relate to turning up to the church car park and being like, come on now, we've got to get it together to go into church. I know that many of you will know exactly what I'm talking about because every day you get up and you get showered and you get dressed and you put your makeup on for some of you and you do your hair for some of you. And right before you walk out the door, along with your COVID face mask, you grab your 
mask to disguise, right? And we put it on and we start our day. Or right before we get out the car, we just grab that on, we put it on, we start our day. Because you say, I'm fine, I'm all good, but really? Are you really? You know, because inside, maybe you'd be saying, actually, I'm really struggling. Actually, my marriage sucks right now. Actually, I don't know when we're going to pay for the next meal. And I don't know how my rent's going to come out this week. And it's really hard. Or actually, work is awful right now. And I don't want to go back again tomorrow. And actually, maybe you're walking here and you're like, well, I'm coming to church, but I don't really want to be here because, man, the church has hurt me in this season. And Or maybe you've there's a broken relationship with somebody and you say I'm fine, but really you're like, this is really hard and I don't know how I'm going to get up in the morning and this, this really hurts. And you know, often we can feel shame because we look around us and we think we aren't living up to the standard. But I want to let you in on a secret today. Are you ready? Lean in a little. No one is meeting the standard. No one else is meeting the standard either. Yeah. Bible says, for all have fallen short. Yeah. For all have fallen short. None of us meet the standard. Yeah. Pastor Dean doesn't meet the standard. Wow. Steve doesn't meet the standard. Jeremy does not meet. I don't even meet the standard, guys. None of us meet the standard. We all make mistakes. We all miss the mark. We all have brokenness. You are in good company here. And so it's okay to take off the mask. It's okay to stop hiding. If you wanna live the forgiven life that Christ died to give you, you have to stop hiding. How do we do that? Well, my second point is this, open up. You've gotta open up. I want you to know something today, and this is so important. It's okay not to be okay. But what's more important, it's okay to tell somebody. It's okay to tell somebody. Because the journey is not just about forgiveness. It's about your healing. It's about your healing. And God's system for healing is one believer walking alongside another believer. Journeying together. John 5 verse 16 says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other so that what? So that you might be healed. We go to God for forgiveness, but the healing journey happens with each other. We go to God for forgiveness, but for our healing, we turn to one another and we walk a journey of brokenness and messing up and mistakes and I didn't get it right and we mud and mess and it's not always pretty and there's snot and sometimes there's tears and there's all sorts of things but we journey it together to a place of healing and the cross gives us confidence that we can do that because the cross gives us confidence in our forgiveness which allows us to take the mask off it allows us to open up it says you don't have to hide anymore see what happens is well I might be able to say I have sinned I've sinned, I've messed up, I've made mistakes, but through the cross, I am forgiven. Therefore, I know I can go and ask for prayer. I've sinned, 
I've messed up, but through the cross I am forgiven. So I know that I can go to my small group leader and I can let them in on my struggle. I have messed up and I have sinned, but through the cross I know I'm forgiven. So I can open up to my friend over coffee on Monday. I've sinned, I've messed up, but I want you to know it's time to open up. Get prayer, share your struggle. Talk to your small group leader, reach out, ask for help. Because if all we do is come to church and praise the Lord and hallelujah and God is good all the time and never open up and never invite someone in and never drop the mask in front of anyone, then we will never be truly free. And you will never see the breakthrough and you will never see the transformation or the restoration in your life that Jesus died to give us. Because those things only take place in an environment where there is real and authentic and messy relationships walking with each other through the mud and the mire. Those things only happen when one person is willing to say to the other person, hey, you're in a mess. Let me help you walk out. Hey, I've been there too. Let me take you by the hand and I'll stay with you until your feet hit solid ground. He is the innocent man bearing the image of the condemned man. And Jesus bore our condemnation so that we could be forgiven. He bore your shame so that you could be free. God, we thank you today. We thank you that your journey to the cross means freedom for my life. And I thank you for every single person here, every messed up, broken, imperfect person. And I thank you that we don't have to hide, that we don't have to cover up who we really are or the things that have happened in our past or even just our today. God, I thank you that your death on the cross meant I am free from the shame and condemnation of sin. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Centre podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancentre.org.nz.